You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Today, we're talking about the fire of revival. The fire of revival. As I was praying about this for the past couple weeks, God put on my heart fire. Um, and we've been talking about revival. If you're just joining us, we've been ta- it's kind of a theme that we've been in since the start of the year. We're talking about revival and we're talking about having this spirit of renewal, how, um, how easy it can be to just become comfortable with, with the things of God if we're not careful. But God wants to do not necessarily a new thing. He wants to do an old thing new again. It's not a brand new thing. That's not, our God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But he wants to do something that he's done in the past, a move of God where his power is flowing, he wants to do that again. And that's what revival is. It's not a brand new thing. It's reviving something that's there, but giving it access to really take, take off. And so the question really is this. We're talking about fire, and this could go a million different ways, and it took me a while to wrestle this to the ground uh, to figure out, God, what's the angle that you want to talk about today? And it's this. Have you ever um, heard someone say, well, I'm, I'm just on fire for God right now. Or maybe you know somebody and you're, that's how you describe them. Like, they're just on fire for God, right? Not physically, obviously, but like spiritually, they're just like, man, they're hungry for God. They want more of God. They are pursuing God. And it just feels like they are, uh, they have this anticipation for the things of God. And, and, and really, the, the truth is this, that's God's desire for all of us is that we would spiritually be on fire for him and that we would take that fire and that we would spread it everywhere that we go. In fact, there's a story um, in the Old Testament that mimics a story in the New Testament and it's um, the story of whenever Jesus, the New Testament is when Jesus sends out his disciples, excuse me. He sends out his disciples two by two and he sends his disciples out and he gives them power to, to heal the sick and to proclaim the good news and say the kingdom of God is at hand. He sends them out and they go and they make an impact and they, people listen to them, people receive, and, and then they come back and they report to Jesus. And what's amazing is that there's a, an Old Testament story and it, that mimics that same thing. And it's actually from the story of Samson. Everybody know Samson? You know, long-haired guy, super strong, right? Did some crazy stuff, Samson, Delilah, all that, whatever. Um, we won't go into that story today, but uh, the story of Samson, he gets wronged. And what Samson does in response to the guys that have wronged him is that he goes out, he captures 300 foxes, he gets them in, in pairs of two, he ties their tails together, and then he takes a torch and he puts the torch with their tails, and then he sends those foxes to go out into the fields of his enemy. 300 foxes paired together with fire to go out and the fire then spreads and it burns up all of the crops, all of the enemy's land and they are furious. That is a perfect picture of an Old Testament true story of what spiritually God wants to do through you and me is that he wants to get us in community with other people. He wants to set us on fire. That's what John the Baptist said. What He said that there's one coming after me. Jesus will come and he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire, not physical fire, spiritual fire. He will take that and now you can go and spread it everywhere that you go. Where? Into the enemy's territory, this fallen world. Go and light this thing on fire for the kingdom of God. That's the fire of revivals, that it's not something that's contained, hidden, embarrassed about, it's something that is hot, and it's something that's contagious. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So really, really, here's the thing. The opposite, then, of an on-fire Christian is a lukewarm Christian. It's not 
an ice-cold Christian, it's a lukewarm Christian. Because hear me, if someone's ice-cold, they don't know Jesus at all. They haven't been informed about him. The opposite is lukewarm. And lukewarm is dangerous waters. It's dangerous waters. I shared this a few weeks ago, and I'll continue to share it while it's on my heart. But um, this year, this first, these first couple months, God has, has been in prayer just over our city, over our region. Really, the Bible Belt is what we call it around here. The Bible Belt. God has just showed me that there is a spirit of complacency over this region. This region that was called the Bible Belt because of such fire and revival and life spiritually, it has been lulled to sleep over the last 10, 20 years. And it's been lulled to sleep so much so that we've just all, we, we've, not everybody, but there's, there's a majority of Christians in the area and churches in the area that have just kind of lulled themselves to sleep into complacency. And complacency is described as this, a feeling of smug self-satisfaction. Let me say this about the message today, okay? I might step on some toes today. <laughs> um, but there is no growth without stretch. There's no growth without a little bit of uncomfortableness. Okay, so I'm going to say some things today that may feel like, Ee, man, Pastor Dan's getting after me today, right? Why? God got after me so I could prepare this message. But without those moments of like, this is uncomfortable, we can never grow and get better. Right? It's just like going to the gym. I have to push myself to a limit and then a few extra reps before I see any progress in the gym. It's the same way spiritually. So the disclaimer, okay? I'll put that out there. In this we've, spirit of complacency, we've be, become comfortable with the things of God. Um, and I would say this, there's churches on every corner, right? All through, like I said a few weeks ago, churches and quick trips. They're kind of, you know, if you see a quick trip, there's probably a church somewhere within a, you know, a stone's throw of it. Um, there's churches on every corner, but many times I think the presence of God has been gone out of a lot of those churches for years. Does it mean they've stopped gathering? No, they may still be gathering together. But that's, that's what's tough about doing church where church is easy, is that we can plan and we can do church and we can get together and make ourselves feel good and I can give you some rah-rah speech up here, but God's presence was never in it. We must guard our pursuit for the presence of God, not for building a great organization or for building a great uh, Pastor Dan and his name and his following. That's not what we're about. We're here to lift up the word of God and to glorify Jesus. That's the only pursuit for us, and even personally, our only pursuit is for more encounters with the presence of God. Amen. If we miss that, we become lukewarm. That's the only way for us to stay on fire for God, okay? Just, I haven't got, I'm just still in the intro. Bear with me here, okay? I'm going to move on. Um, here's what we see in the book of Revelation. We see Jesus. He's speaking to several churches in the book of Revelation. One of those churches was the church of Laodicea, I think I'm saying that right, Laodicea. Laodicea was an arrogant, self-sufficient church. And this is why I think God put this on my heart for today, and it's this. Here's Revelation 3, 15 through 16. This is Jesus speaking to that church. He says this, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, this is Jesus, he says, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Sorry for not a great picture this morning in church, but that's... Jesus' reaction to people who are lukewarm, just coasting, complacent, okay. He says, 
Lukewarm Christianity, this is basically what he's saying, lukewarm Christianity makes Jesus nauseous. And if we say we follow Jesus, it should make us nauseous as well. A lukewarm Christian is informed about Jesus, but they have yet to be or are not being transformed by Jesus. Let me say that again. A lukewarm Christian is an, is an informed Christian, but they are not allowing themselves to be transformed by Jesus. Informed in this. They know scripture. They know the Bible stories. They know, they know, they know. They have it in their brain. But they have yet to allow what they know up here to transform their heart in here. Many people will miss heaven by 18 inches. They knew, but they didn't believe. They didn't believe enough to act. And what does James say? Faith without works is dead. Meaning what? It's useless. Many people will miss it for this much. So then, this gap right here, if I know it, knowing's a great start, but do I believe it enough to live it out? If I never believe it enough to live it out, I will continue or I will drift into lukewarm complacency. And guess what? I've just eliminated myself from the maximum use of God in my life. God wants to work. He wants to use me. He wants to use you where you're at. He wants to do amazing things in your life. But we have a part to play, and that's what I want to talk about today. So we're going to talk about this. Five qualities of a lukewarm Christian. Why five? Because um, I would venture to say there's at least one of these, and I had ten to start, so you're welcome, okay? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Why five? Because one of these, I guarantee, if not more, one of these is where you tend to drift. So I want to cast a wide net so that you can say that's where... The devil will go to work in my life. We need to identify it so we know how to deal with it. So let's dive into it. I'm going to hit these pretty quick here. The first one is this. Uh, A lukewarm Christian craves acceptance from people. Craves acceptance from people. In parentheses, you could put more than acceptance from God. They crave acceptance from people more than acceptance from God. The Bible says that in the end days, people will be lovers of themselves. And if that doesn't describe the world that we are, uh, the trajectory of our world right now, I don't know what does. We live in a very selfie world, right? Like look at my Instagram. Uh, We have the who can get the most likes. Um, What filter can I put on my picture to make me look perfect so that more people will engage with it? We live in a very self-centered world. We want to be liked. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be liked. However, this is what Jesus said in Luke 6, 26. He said, woe to you when all men speak well of you. Meaning this, if I live my life in such a way that the world who doesn't know Jesus and hates Jesus is cheering me on, I'm probably not living for Jesus. Here's what the New Living says. I don't have a verse slide for this, but here's what the New Living says in Luke 6, 26. What sorrows await you when you are praised by the crowds. Not, not that I, you know, I'm going to experience negativity here, but he's saying what sorrows await you in the age to come. Everyone loved you here. The world praised you here, but you were living for them and not for him. I'm living for this world and not for eternity's impact. A lukewarm Christian lives for the approval of people rather than from the approval of God. A lukewarm Christian lives for 
Let me perform, let me be great so that you like me, let me be perfect, let me say all the things that make you like me more, rather than I'm going to live from the approval of my Savior who created me, who gave me gifts and talents. He made me this way, and I'm going to live in such a way that I, am, I know my identity is in him. And so even if I say something, if it aligns with God's word and you don't like it, or if I live my way and I have a standard that you don't like because it makes you feel guilty about your sin, that's okay. You can criticize me. Because when I get to heaven someday, I won't have those sorrows. What great sorrows await you because the crowds cheered you on. I won't have that, and I'm okay with that. So if the world's cheering me on, am I living for an acceptance of people rather than from God? Number two is this. A a lukewarm Christian rarely shares their faith. They rarely share their faith. You guys doing okay? We're one, we're one in, okay? So it only, they kind of get, they build a little from here, so bear with me here. Um, they rarely share their faith, right? I don't want to be weird. I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to offend. Uh, I don't want to be canceled. Easy excuses to make. But what's really at the heart of it? If I'm afraid to share my faith, doesn't mean I have to have a sign and I'm on every street corner or um, any, you know, screaming scriptures at people when they're, when they're at their parked car. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about living in such a way that people know that you have something. The world knows that you have something that they don't. That you live in such a way that you look drastically different to people who don't know Jesus. I'm living in such a way, not that I have to proclaim it, but just because I walk in the fruit of the Spirit Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. I I have these, these fruits from God that I'm producing in my life. And because I produce them regularly, people see it and they notice. But the root is, is this. If I'm afraid to share, if I'm afraid to live it out, I would say this. I don't, if I'm afraid, I don't really believe in the power of the gospel to transform lives. If, I, if, I, if I'm afraid to share, I don't believe what Scripture says. I don't believe that, that God's power can defeat fear, destroy depression, cast out demons, heal the sick, raise the dead. That sounds a little extreme, but can I tell you, those aren't suggestions in here. Those are commands from Jesus to you and me. So if I believe it, and I see a friend in need, and they're battling anxiety, have I even offered to pray with them? Not, I'll be praying for you, brother. Have I laid hands on them and said, hey, can I pray with you right here, right now? Yeah, we're in the checkout line at Walmart. I don't care. I believe in the power of the gospel to transform lives. If I don't, I'll do nothing. If I do, I'll do what I can so God can do what he can. I don't have to perform the miracle. I just have to be willing to say, can I pray with you? And everything after that, God, I'm the channel you can use. And the more I make myself obedient, the, the more clear of a channel I am for God to use. He can trust me with situations. Many times we don't have opportunities because I've said no to the opportunities God's placed me in in the past. And so God has no trust that if he brings someone who's sick, who's hurting, who has fear, who has whatever, if he brings them into your life, he can't trust you to do anything about it. So he stopped sending them. And Lord, let that not be said about us. Let us be people. When we see a need, we will do our part so that God can do his part. If we really believe it, we'll share it. If I don't, 
Jesus has some strict, some very strict warnings. In Matthew 10, 32, he, Jesus says this, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. This is why a little bit earlier I was talking about water baptism. This is why water baptism is a crucial part. If I'm not willing to make a public declaration of my faith in front of a room or a, a crowd of people that are cheering me on, I definitely won't do it on Monday morning when the world is not cheering me on. It's important that I live in a way where I will proclaim Jesus everywhere that I go. Again, it's not me screaming it, okay? But I'll share this. I was going to share this next week, but I'll share it today. I, I take Leslie's vehicle to a Jiffy Lube right down the street from our house. There was a guy there. I've gotten to know him over the course of a year, him and his team. Have I preached Jesus to him? Not with my words, but with my actions. I go in there and I talk to them. I always have a great attitude when I talk to them. Even when they're a little grumpy with me, I still have a great attitude with them. Finally, he figured out. He saw my bumper sticker. And if you don't have one, we have it at the, the, the resource table out there if you need a bumper sticker. He saw my bumper sticker and he said, hey, I see you have a, a, a church bumper sticker. Do you go there? And I'm like, yeah, man, I go there. <laughs> uh, so I shared, I'm, I'm actually the pastor there. And he, so we got to talking a little bit. That was six months ago or more. Uh, a few weeks ago, I go in and he asked me, hey, how's church going? I said, it's going good, man. Taking ground, it's going good. How are you doing? He said, I'm just trying to find my way. And then he said, do you have Facebook? I was like, yeah, bro. Hit me up on Facebook. He said, I, I got a few questions I want to ask you. And whenever me and Leslie were out of town last week, Sunday morning, I woke up to a, a Facebook message that was sent to me at 2 a.m. And he said this. He said, I told you I had a few questions for you, so here I go. He said, I want to receive Jesus, but I don't know how. And then he went on to send a whole other thing after that, just what's going on in his life and his, his wife and his kids and decisions and things. But guess what? I didn't have to stand on the street corner to, to win him. All I had to do was live it out. All I had to do was actually love him, have patience with him, with him whenever his team got it wrong a few times. All I had to do was forgive him. All I had to do was just be kind to him. And by doing so, he knew whenever life gets awful and when crisis comes, where did he look for help? Somebody that knows Jesus, someone that has fire, which is light. It's dark in my world. Who do I know that knows Jesus? I know that pastor that comes in here from time to time. Come on. That's what we have to do. Confessing Jesus before men isn't always a, a here's your microphone, you better confess Jesus. Many times it's just how do we live out our life in front of people that are watching us. Titus says this, I don't have a verse slide for it, but it says this, Titus chapter one, he says, many proclaim they know God, but they deny him by the way that they live. Titus chapter one. I know God, I'm a Christian, I go to church, <laughs> but you deny him by the way that you live the rest of your week. How we live is a big deal. How we live is a great way of how we share our faith. So a lukewarm Christian ex it craves acceptance from people. They rarely share their faith. Number three is this. They rationalize their sin. It's about to get real in here, somebody. <laughs> they rationalize their sin. Sin is a big deal. And in the modern world, it's not a big deal. But it is. In God's word, sin is a big deal. And I will say this, there will be many, a quote-unquote, good people in hell someday. But here's the opposite of that. There will be many forgiven sinners in heaven someday. There will be many good people. I did good. I was nice. I tried not to be, you know, I tried to be a good worker at, at work. 
There'll be many, quote unquote, good people in hell. But thank you, God, that there will be many forgiven sinners in heaven. If I don't continue to remind myself the importance of what Jesus did for me in giving me righteousness in Christ, I will become okay with sin in my life. And what is sin? Sin equals death, which means not just physical death, it is spiritual death, separation from our Heavenly Father. If I entertain it, if I'm okay with it, if I embrace it, if I support it, I'm putting myself in a very dangerous situation. We live in a day where we rebrand sin. Right? Here's a few examples. It's not adultery. It's an affair. Sounds a little bit better. Right? Not so, uh, not so harsh. It's not pornography. It's adult entertainment. It's not profanity. It's adult language. It's not fornication. It's just hooking up. Right? We're in love. And just a reminder, any sex outside of biblical marriage, which is one man born a man, one woman born a woman, any, any sex outside of that is can only be biblically defined as lust, not love. We got to stop rationalizing. Well, we're, we're in love. We're going to get married. Until you make covenant relationship, it's sin. It's sin. And here's how, we, here's how we rationalize our sin. Too many Christians look to rationalize their own sin by pointing at the worser, quote-unquote, worser, worser sins. Right? They look at someone who's struggling with homosexuality, someone who's struggling with gender confusion, and they'll say, well, I'm not as bad as that person. When really their heart should break for that person. Because if not for the grace of God on your life, there would be us. Confused, lost, in whatever that is. Whatever sin it may be for you, whatever thing that the enemy tries to throw at you, if not for the grace of God, there would be us walking in darkness. They'll point at someone else who has, who has a, a worser sin than theirs, but they'll still gossip They'll still lie. They'll still punch a hole in the sheetrock at home whenever they get mad at their spouse. That's sin, okay? For the men in the room, that's how you're acting whenever you get upset. <laughs> that's a child, number one, but that's an immature. That's a very immature believer. And I would say you need to check yourself. <laughs> then we punch in the hole in the wall. Why? Here's what Proverbs 6, 16 says. There are six things the Lord hates now, seven things he detests, or the, the New King James says, that are abominations to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness that pours out lies, a person who sows discord in a family. Can I tell you all of this, this list right here, except for maybe the, the killing, <laughs> but the other stuff, that's not that bad. That's what, that's what American culture would tell you. That's not that bad just a little lie, right? It's just a little discord. It's just a little talking behind my spouse's back. Proverbs says it's an abomination. The world, if we rationalize it, right? What's the world tell you? What's culture tell you? Well, I was born this way, right? I was born this way. Uh, my dad was an alcoholic. His dad was an alcoholic. So I'm just going to have to struggle through, uh, you know, my drinking problem. Okay? I was just, it's, just in, it's, it's in my DNA, Culture says I was born this way, and that's exactly why Jesus says we must be born again. Not 
hey, if you're comfortable with it, you need to be born again. Or if you feel like it, or if it gets a little too extreme, he says you must be born again. So whatever generational curse I've been carrying with me is some crutch to keep me along or some excuse to rationalize my sin, we need to change our bloodline and say, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, your supernatural power, you can work in my life, and I invite you to work in my life. I'm done with it, and I'm moving on. I'm going to pursue you and not go back to these things that are, that are hindering me or that are hindering you from working in my life. A lukewarm Christian rationalizes their sin. Here's number four. A lukewarm Christian gives whenever it's convenient. They give whenever it's convenient. God's word says that he loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because a cheerful giver carries the heart of God. You ever seen your, for the parents in the room, you ever seen your kid do something really good? And it's like, we're doing it, right? The other day, not to brag on myself or anything, but the other day, uh, Leslie and I, uh, Gavin has some picture Bibles, and the other day we, we came walking down the hallway, and he was in his room, and he was reading through one of his picture Bibles. You know, he's, he's in second grade. He's just learning to read. He, he's a bookworm. He loves to read. And it was one of those moments where it was just like, we're doing it, okay? There's several moments in between where I'm like, I don't know if we're doing it. I think we're doing it right. But it was one of those moments where it was just like, yes, the, the, the good things some of the good things from my life that I'm trying to instill in you, you're getting it. That's how God feels about you whenever you choose to be a cheerful giver. He's saying, yes, you are carrying my heart. You're doing what I've tried to tell you to do. And because you're doing that, now I can trust you with more. Now I can, now I can use you to help hurting people. He's cheering us on. That's why he loves a cheerful giver. Not because God wants your money or he wants to steal your money or he wants you to live in poverty. That's not God. God wants you to live in a way where you can have nice things. He just doesn't want those nice things to have you. He wants it to be where you are open with him. This is his money, right? A lukewarm Christian gives when it's convenient. I'll give when it makes me look good. I'll give if it doesn't impede on my standard of living. I'll give with, once my bills are paid first. I'll give if I want to, but don't ask me to do anything with my money. A lukewarm Christian says, it's my money. Biblically, God says, that's my money. That's why tithing is returning. We don't give the tithe. We return the tithe. It's not mine to begin with. He's allowed me to steward the other 90%. A lukewarm Christian robs God by refusing to honor him with their tithes. That sounds, that sounds harsh, right? But here's Malachi 3.8. This is the Amplified. It says this. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you're saying, what way, God, are we robbing you? And he says, in tithes and offerings which you have withheld. And here's where grace comes in, right? So grace is real, but let me, let me say this. It's one thing to not know about the principle of the tithe and the principle of first fruits and returning the tithe to God. It's one thing to not have been taught about that or to not know about it and not do it. There's grace for that. I didn't know. My pastor didn't teach me. I didn't know about that. There's grace in those situations, not just for tithing, but for other things. I, I, if you literally didn't know about something that you were doing that was against God's word and you've never studied it or maybe no one's ever told you, there's grace for that. But you read Malachi 3 when it comes, this is just one example. When I know God's command to give and I withhold it, I put myself under a cursed system. 
So the first one has grace with it. When I know better and I still say, God, no, I don't trust you enough to do what your word says. I've put myself under a cursed system. And many times people are wondering in their job, why do I feel unfulfilled? Why can't I get ahead? Why am I not seeing promotion at work? Are you honoring God with your tithe? And if you are, you've stopped robbing him. And he says, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out so much you don't have room enough to receive it. Here's the last one, number five. A lukewarm Christian doesn't value church. <laughs> Told you I was coming, coming for you a little bit today. <laughs> you guys okay? Um, here's the thing. When I get up here and I have, to, I have to preach, you also have to realize I had to spend 20, 30 hours wrestling all of this my, myself with God. Okay? So it may sound like I can come up here and say, uh, I don't say this, but you may think, oh, well, Pastor Dan's perfect at all this stuff. God's dealt with me. And because God's dealt with me about several things, I can now proclaim it. I can say, all right, God, I see what your truth says. And now I want to share it with other people because it set me free. That's the thing, I think that's what people confuse. Many times I've had people come up to me and argue, like the tithe, for example. They argue the tithe and the Old Testament, New Testament, under the law, all this good stuff. And I, last, last year I did a series, The Blessing of God. At the end of last year I talked about the tithe. I teach on it. I show from the mouth of Jesus, red letters, when he says, you ought to tithe. So uh, that's a different point. But anyway, they'll, they'll want to argue and go back and forth. And the best thing I can tell them is this. It changed my life. So you can choose not to believe it. But all I can tell you is I was this way, my finances were this way, but I trusted God, and now my finances are this way. So you can choose not to believe it, but my job is not to babysit anyone in here and say, believe it, trust me, convince you, I can show you God's word, but I need you to trust it and do it for yourself. It's not the pastor's job to spoon feed us, babysit us, wake us up at 6 a.m., make sure you're reading your Bible. It's not my job. But if you call this place your home, you gotta trust me enough as your pastor that I'm gonna give you God's word and then I'm gonna need you to trust God's word and act it out. So hear my heart. I'll say some harsh stuff today. It feels like stepping on your toes, but that's good every now and then. But it's because I love you any parents in the room? Huh? You got to discipline your kid? Spank your kid? Whatever. You get, I, I love you. Last one's this. Don't, they don't value church. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Let me remind you. The presence, the manifest presence and power of God is available to us when we assemble together. Manifest. That means it's the made, the made known presence of God. That's why when you don't feel like going to church, it's the best time to go to church. <laughs> Let me say that again. When you don't feel like going to church, it's the best time to go to church. When I had a tough week, man, you should be, mm, you should be itching to get to church. Man, it was a long week. Man, it was a tough work week. I can't wait to get to church. You need to be in church. Why? Listen back, I talked about the revival through assembly. If you missed that message, go back and watch it again. I talk in detail about the manifest presence and power of God, okay? Sleep can't restore your soul the way the power and presence of God can. I'll think, oh, if I just sleep, it's my day off. I just need to sleep in today. But can I tell you, it's not enough to restore your soul, to refresh you from the inside out. You may get a little more rest, 
But again, let's not shortchange the power of God. Whenever I commit to serving him, when I commit to his bride, he can do more in my physical body than any doctor can, than any medicine can, than anything can. He can restore my energy. He can miraculously set me back up. I'm not talking about, hey, I'm in the hospital and I'm, I'm sick. We'll the hospital bed in here. Like, that's, hear my heart. But we've become comfortable with, that was a tough week. Better stay home from church. <laughs> At the end of the day, you do what you want to do. So when I stay home, it's because I didn't want to go to church. So what I do, if I didn't want to hang out with somebody and my schedule was open and I told them no, why? I didn't want to. It's the, you do what you want to do. Last week we, had, we heard from Pastor Kent, one of my best friends. You heard his story if you didn't listen to it because he said this. They moved to Oklahoma City. A full year goes by. No, closed door. God called him to Oklahoma City. Closed door after closed door after closed door. No fulfillment. Trying to find a job. Struggling to find a job. Find a job he hates. Like just trying to make ends meet. God, why would you call us to Oklahoma City? And it took him a year to figure out, well, yeah, that church we visited at the beginning of the year, that church we visited that's an hour from us, we're supposed to be planted there. And so what did they do? They said, we don't care. At first they said, we did care. <laughs> now then they said, we don't care. God, we know you called us to New Song Church and it's an hour from us. We're not just gonna attend. We're not just gonna show up. We're gonna show up early and we're gonna be involved and we're gonna give and we're gonna sacrifice to be there early. And because we're, we're giving or we're volunteering, that probably means we're gonna have to be there for both services. That means our whole day is shot and I gotta go back and drive an hour back. And guess what? I got work on Monday morning because he's not in full-time ministry. But what do you say? We're committed to driving an hour to church. God can bless that. And what happened as soon as they did? It didn't take but a few weeks or months, and, and all of a sudden, God opens a door for him to step into part-time ministry. And then God opened the door just a little bit after that for him to go full-time ministry, which is what he had in his heart. Why? They valued church. They valued church. Psalm 92, 13 to 14 says this, those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. Come on, somebody. I'm loving that because I'm only 31, but I'm, hey, something happens when after you go past 30. It's like, hey, my knees, my knees are a little, jumping on the trampoline, my knees start to hurt a little bit. Um, they shall be fresh and flourishing. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Why? Because they're planted. Not because they, I'm going to go over here for a few months and over here for a few months. And it's good to try out churches. And I would say this, it's good to be where God has called you to be. You need to be in the church that God has guided you to. And if you just go to a church because you like it or it's, uh, it just feels nice or it's comfortable, then you need to ask, God, did you call us here? God wants you to be in the church that he, he, has, he needs you to be in. When the church becomes a drain to you, you've drifted into lukewarm waters. Why? Because if I'm planted, church ain't no drain to me. It's refreshing to me. When, you, when church becomes a drain to you, the, the reality is you're no longer planted. You could be volunteering, you could be involved, but you're not planted. And that's when it's time to take a step back and reevaluate and say, God, is this church a drain to me because of something I'm doing? Or is it a drain to me because you need us to go someplace else? And not very many pastors will tell you this, but I'll tell you. There's a lot of great churches in Tulsa. 
as your pastor, I need you to be in the body that God has called you to be in. Don't come to abide church if he has called you someplace else. Why? Because you're living in disobedience. We don't need no, no disease of disobedience in this body. I've had many people that I've wanted to come and to be on staff here, but God called them elsewhere. And at least five times I had to say, you do what God tells you to do. As much as I want you to be here, I trust that God's speaking to you, you go and get involved. But go somewhere, you don't just attend. You better go and go all in and get planted. If you're not planted, you're outside the will of God. We must be planted in a church. So to wrap up, it's easy to be lukewarm in America. In other parts of the world, Christianity could cost you your job, your family, or your head. Here's the good thing about persecution in our world. It reveals the genuineness of our discipleship. As the persecution goes up, the true church is actually strengthened. Why? Because anyone that's lukewarm gets out. Ah, too tough. Don't want to get canceled. That's okay. Get on out of here, okay? Because we need people who are going to be on fire for God. I'm not talking about I'm new and I'm still learning. Yeah, you need to be here too. I'm talking about people who have been complacent. And I'm too afraid to be on fire for God. God's desire is that he would set you on fire. It's what John said. God, Jesus will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. Why? So you can spread it, send it out, light it up everywhere that you go. Go. The church in Revelation 3 was so similar to what we see today. And I'll wrap up with this. That church in Revelation 3, the lukewarm church, they had theaters, they had shopping centers, and they had stadiums in their community. Okay? But Jesus still told them, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And here's why. Here's verse 17. He says, because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, and I have need of nothing. Complacent. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He's not talking about physically. They had everything they needed physically, spiritually. The spirit of complacency over the Bible belt is dangerous. It's dangerous. Why? Because it's good. It's easy here. It's easy here. But God is saying the best way to get lukewarm is by saying, guess what? I'm so comfortable. I don't have need of anything. I don't need God for anything. I got a great job. I got everything's going good. I need God when somebody goes to the hospital. But no, the reality is this. I need God to brush my teeth in the morning with me. I need God to go to Walmart. Like, I need God to drive to work. I need God in every area of my life. And until I gain that perspective, I will drift into lukewarm complacency and just be okay. But can I tell you this? God has planted Abide Church here in this region to destroy this spirit of complacency. God has planted us here to go and to set this place back on fire again for him. That people would think of Tulsa and they would think of revival. They would think of, man, there was amazing moves of God. There seemed to be a lull. We don't know what happened. But then all of a sudden, God's spirit showed up again. And there were healings and there were salvation. And there were people who were far from God that we thought were always going to be lost. And they came, to, they came to God and they came home. And now they're on fire and now they're helping the church. God has placed us here for that reason that we would go as the foxes from Samson go and set a fire into the, the world around. That's what God has done for us here at Abide Church. And so here's the thing. If you've, if you've been lukewarm, if you've like, I don't know if this is my church, or, or if you're here and you're saying, no, this is my church, I would say, ask God to show you. 
and then go all in. If this is where you're supposed to be, go all in because we have a job to do. We have a job to do. Here's the reflection question and the action step. Which lukewarm quality do I battle with? Which one of these? Maybe it's, maybe it's two or three. Maybe it's all five. I don't know. Which one do I battle with? But then here's the action step. Revelation 3.20. So let's finish the passage now. Lukewarm. I'm going to vomit you out because you say you have no need, but you're really wretched and naked spiritually. And here's what he says. Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door of the church and continually knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in, I will eat with him, and what? I will restore him, and he with me, he will eat with me. We will commune together. This is, this is how, how do I stay on fire for God? Have I invited him in to every area of my life? He's continually knocking. That means he was knocking yesterday. He's knocking right now on your heart, and he's going to be knocking tomorrow morning. He's not going to come in and take over your life against your will. And this is the the beautiful paradox of grace and personal responsibility. Well, if God's going to do it, brother, he's just going to do it. Lord willing. Can I tell you, a lot of times, no, he's not. He's a gentleman who will wait at the door until you open it. Will you open your heart and say, Jesus, come in. The things I've been hanging on to, the things I've been complacent with, the things that I've uh, just become comfortable with in your kingdom, with your church, with your presence, the things that I've just been okay with, would you come in and would you change me? And if you ask, open the door. He says, I'll come in and what? Restore you. What's that? Revival. Revival through fire. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out AbideChurch.com.